Well, if you've been with us this summer, we're going through the life of David, King David, David and Goliath, that David, and we're going to see a part of his story today that I'm praying, truly praying, is very helpful and practical in your life. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how you move in our own lives. Thank you so much for how you use the people around us. God, and most importantly, thank you for how you use your word. I pray as we open your word today that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that you would nudge us, prompt us, challenge us, convict us as we take next steps in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you know this this phrase, technically it's a law, for every action there is a... Reaction, very good. For every action, there is a reaction. Specifically, in regards to doing this with a kickball, the reaction happens all because of the action, right? So if I were to push down on the ball, what's the reaction going to be? Not that hard, y'all. It's going to go up. Good job. Yes, I push down on the ball. The ball is going to come up. Now, what happens if I push down on the ball really gently? What's going to happen? Just a little bounce. That's right. That's right. Little bounce. Now, if I push really hard on the ball, then we know it's going to go a lot higher. So the reaction, if it's a small bounce, medium side bounce, or a big bounce, the reaction is always dependent on that first action. Not if you understand what I'm saying. Are we on the same page? Great. So that means if we were to transfer that into our relationships, we tend to do the same thing. That there's an action that happens to us, and so we react, we respond with a similar action. Somebody at work says something that hurt you and offended you, so your reaction is, well, I'm going to say something back that hurt them. Spouses, we do this a lot, don't we? One person says one thing, and then we say another thing. Now, the difference with spouses is since we live with each other, it looks more like this. It gets worse and worse and worse, doesn't it? It escalates, and it becomes really easy to escalate things. Your kids begin to bother you, so you bother them back. It's what we do. For every action, there is a reaction. And in our relationships, we tend to blame the action. Well, I said that because of, I did that because of, And our reactions are based on the original action. Now, with that being said, that's typical, that's natural. We don't have to be taught how to do that. What we see in God's word is we're supposed to do something a little bit different. We are called to live a different life where our reaction does not necessarily match the action. What has been done to us, we are called to not give that back, but to do something different. Bottom line is your reactions, your reactions are not the responsibility of the other person or of life, but you and I are each responsible for our own reactions. You and I are. Your reaction, my reaction, that is our own responsibility. So when somebody says something or does something or hurts you or offends you, instead of reacting right back, we have a choice on what that reaction would be. As we go through David's story today, I said we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 25. As we go through his story today, you're going to see that happen. You're going to see these actions and reactions, and there's actually two parts of these stories. The first part is all about escalation. David and the other people involved, it's just going to get out of control. You're going to see the reactions escalate. 
to a pretty out of control scenario and situation. It gets way out of hand. Now, we are not gonna spend that much time talking about how issues and problems and situations escalate because we all know how to do that extremely well. I don't need to teach you all how to escalate a situation. You and I both know how to do that, no problem. The second part of the story is what we really wanna spend some time on because the second part of the story shows how that issue de-escalated. Oh, now that's where we wanna figure out how to do that's where we need to figure out how to have a reaction that doesn't escalate, but actually de-escalate. So like I said, it'll be in two parts. We'll go through the first part pretty quick, but you need to have the context of what's happening. The second part we're going to sit on so we can figure out how are we supposed to treat others, the words we use, the actions we have. How should we behave when somebody has an action that hurts us, offends us, bothers us, or annoys us. That's what we're going to see. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 1, here's the context that we see. Now Samuel died, and all Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David moved down to the wilderness of Maon. Now let me explain, if you've not been with us this, this summer, uh, what's happened now. David is kind of on the side of his season of life that's just not going well. When we first started in David's life, things were going great. I mean, he fought Goliath and defeated Goliath. He got promotions. He had family. He had the power. He had the popularity. He had the fame. He had everything. Things were going great for David until Saul, weird dynamic, David was going to be future king, but Saul's still technically the king. Saul doesn't want David to be king. So then obviously there's tension there. So Saul gets real jealous and actually tries to kill David. David runs away for his life, literally, and that's what we see here. We've talked about this last couple of weeks, where David is living in caves. He's got about 600 men with him, living in caves and out in the wilderness, still running for his life, still waiting to become the actual king, not the soon-to-be king, but to be the actual king. So life has not gone very well for David, and now we see in verse 1, now Samuel died. Now, if you don't know Samuel, Samuel is the one that actually God used to choose David as king. He was a prophet of God. He, he spoke God's word to the people. And specifically for David, Samuel was a close friend and a mentor. So now David, soon to be king but not king, has lost everything that he'd worked for. He's on the run from Saul, running for his life, stuck living in caves, out in the wilderness. And now Samuel dies. His mentor dies. The one person that he could count on. The one person that truly would be there for David. Now Samuel has died. David keeps feeling like he's losing. This is a season of loss for David. And I bring that up and highlight it because those seasons in our lives where we're, we feel like we've lost, those seasons where we're grieving, where we're hurting, where we're having difficulties, it's those seasons that our emotions can just take off, can't they? We notice that our patience, patience gets very thin, our fuse gets a lot shorter, our reactions tend to escalate and explode more so in seasons like this. So it gives a little history, not just on his context, but on the emotional season that David is also in. Here's what happens next. So there was a wealthy man from Maon who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. 
But on the flip side, look at how Nabal is described. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. So two totally different people, Abigail, sensible, beautiful, wise, Nabal, mean and crude in all of his relationships and how he treated other people. So here's what happens next. Remember, for every action, there is a reaction. So David out in the wilderness, living in caves, not a lot of supplies. He has a need. And here's how he approaches Nabal. Verse four, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family and everything you own. I come in peace, in other words. Verse seven, I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you this to be true. So would you be, here's the ask, would you be kind to us? Since we have come at a time of celebration, please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your friend, David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, what David is, is asking is relatively reasonable. Not if you say this, would say this is reasonable. I mean, Nabal has plenty of food, plenty of provisions. He's going to be doing, doing the work already. Here's David and his men with limited supplies, limited resources, limited food, and he has a need. So he goes to Nabal and says, man, like, peace to you. I, I, I don't have anything to offer other than I've protected your shepherds and you can talk to them about that. They'll tell you this to be true. We've never stolen anything from you. We've never brought harm to you. So in return, would you be kind to us? Would you help us in a time of need? It seems very reasonable. This is almost the equivalent of you going next door to a neighbor saying, hey, can I have some sugar? I ran out. Not exactly the same thing, but similar in the sentiment of he just needed a little provision, just needed a little help. Say it with me again, though, for every action, there is a reaction. So notice Nabal's reaction to David's request, David's action. Verse 10, who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? Yeah, that, that, that was a really smart thing to do, wasn't it? <laughs> is is that, that, that's the reaction? David says, I just, I come in peace, but can I just have some provisions? Can, I, can you help me? And he just fires back. Nabal could have said no, and that could have been the end of it. But instead, he said no, and let me give you a piece of my mind. He made it very personal. And he started this whole rant on, who is this David? Now, you might be thinking, well, did, maybe he really didn't know David. But as if you keep going through the story, as you keep reading, you'll recognize, oh, no, no, no. This whole family knew David, knew he was going to be king, knew of his past. They knew who this David was. This is more of an ego and a pride thing for Nabal. He's saying, who's David? The guy hanging out in the wilderness? Look at me. Look at everything I've got. And now he, that David, mighty David, is coming to me and asking for help? Nabal wanted to make sure that his position was obvious, that he is better off and he is in a better spot than David. So he makes it personal, his reaction to David. For every action, 
there's a reaction. So what do David's men do? Verse 12, here's their reaction. So David's young men returned and told him, David, what Nabal had said. Now, depending on what translation you're reading out of, some translations will read this a little bit more literally from the original language where, it's, where they would say, so David's young men returned and told David every single word Nabal said. In other words, these young men show up to David. David said, hey, how'd it go? David, you wouldn't believe what this man said to you. I wrote it all down word for word. Let me tell you exactly what he called you and said to you. And do you believe he said this? What are you going to do, David? Don't let him talk to you that way. So David, for every action, there's a reaction. The very next verse, verse 13, get your swords, was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. Has it gotten a little out of hand? Has it gotten out of hand? Just a little bit. This started out as a simple, innocent request for provision. And it has escalated to war, literal war, where David is taking 400 men and is going, going to attack this family over the responses, back and forth and back and forth. Every action had a reaction. And every reaction got bigger and worse and worse, and it became more and more of a problem as it escalated. One thing to point out, like I said, we're not going to sit on this very long other than the reminder of at any point, I would even say the young men that David sent, David, the young men, and Nabal, at any point, any of those individuals could have done something to stop the escalation. They all had the power to do that. To stop, to stop something that was spinning out of control. But instead, they allowed the emotions and the ego to move more and more powerfully to the place where there's literally going to be an all-out war between David and his men and Nabal's family. Like I said, we don't need to be taught how to do that. We can do that extremely well, very, very well. Just go read Focus on Dawson on Facebook. <laughs> it doesn't take much to spin out of control. But remember... Our reactions are our responsibilities. Your reaction is within your control and your responsibility. So we're not going to hang out there. We want to see what happens next. Because the next part, Abigail comes into the picture. And Abigail does some brilliant, brilliant things to de-escalate this entire situation. Here's what she says uh, in verse 18. Prior to this, though, servants came to Abigail they had seen what Nabal had said, overheard what had been said, kind of recognized that trouble's coming. So these servants run to Abigail and say, Abigail, you have to do something. Your idiot husband said this. David's going to come and kill us all. You've got to fix the problem. Of course, they go to Abigail. Remember how she was described? Beautiful and sensible and intelligent and wise. So they go to her, please fix this problem. It's gotten out of control. So we want to pay attention to what Abigail does. Verse 18, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, go ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Real quick, she's not being disrespectful to her husband. If you read prior to in verse 17, you'll see that we're told he's so ill-tempered, no one can talk to him. He's so emotional that no one can 
talk him out of something. No one can reason with him. He is in an irrational state of mind because his emotions have taken over. So she's doing something that she can do. There's a lot she can't do, but she says, I need to do something. I love the language. It says she wasted no time. Often we want there to be peace in a relationship or peace in a family, peace in a community. We want there to be peace, but then we just sit back and wait for peace. Oh man, I hope this happens eventually. Maybe it'll eventually work itself out. She wastes no time, wastes no time and she is proactive. She moves quickly to make peace, not waiting for peace. Then she sees David. So David with 400 men on a war path, and here comes Abigail with a few servants. And Abigail begins to talk with David. And I'm telling you, as we go through this next part, this is the playbook on diplomacy. I mean, what she does is brilliant and wise beyond anything that we could come up with. So as we read through this, we're going to read it. We'll come back. We'll pick it apart a little bit. But pay attention to what she does to de-escalate literally a wartime situation. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. I love that. Just ignore him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men you sent. So now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all of your enemies and those who try to harm you be cursed as Nabal is cursed. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. And these three words, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. The Lord will surely reward you with a lasting dynasty for you are fighting in the Lord's battle. And look at this last line. And you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. We'll stop there. If you keep reading, Abigail kind of expounds on that last line. And David, you haven't done anything wrong in your whole life. And as you keep reading, she basically says, so don't start now. David, you've done the right thing. You followed God for so much of your life. Why would you do what's wrong now? David, you're going to regret this. You don't want this blood on your hands. In other words, continue to do the right thing, trust God, and be faithful to him. So let's back up and let's see what she did. Like I said, this is a playbook on how to de-escalate a very, very emotional situation. From the very beginning... She quickly, we've seen that several times already. She wasted no time. When she saw David, she quickly got off her horse and then went over to him. She acted quickly, but also thoughtfully. I mean, this is going to be helpful for us. When, when there becomes tension in a relationship or in an environment, what do we do with it? Well, acting quickly is helpful, but don't miss the last part either. Thoughtfully. Quick without thought is called rash. Being rash is not helpful. That will make things worse. But when we act quickly and proactively, but with judgment and with wisdom, oh, then we can begin to, as Abigail's trying to do, make peace. She acted quickly, but also thoughtfully with good judgment. Then as soon as she comes up to him, do you notice what she did first? Not the first thing she said, but the first thing she did. What did she do? She bowed down. She bowed down before the man who's on his way to kill their family. She bowed down. In other words, she approached David 
not where David was at emotionally. David was at a 100 out of 100 on the emotional scale. Instead, Abigail comes in at a zero, and she humbly bows down before him. Approach with humility. We naturally will meet people's emotional intensity. So if you're upset, well, then I'm going to be upset. And if you get more upset, then I'm going to get more upset. For every action, there's a reaction. And often we use the action. That's where we match our reaction. But she does something different. David is all upset, and she's very calm, meek, and humble. David's all worked up, and she bows down low. Approach with humility. You do not have to meet other people's emotional intensity. Come in with humility. Approach with humility. Then she says something, and this blows my mind. The first thing she says was not, please don't kill us. The first thing that she says was not, blame Nabal, it's all his fault. No, the first thing that she says, she bows down to David, and she says, I accept all blame in this matter. Wait, 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 wait. How in the world is this Abigail's fault? How could Abigail say that it's her fault and that she's to blame? Because it's not her fault. She had nothing to do with it. She hasn't escalated anything. She hasn't caused any of the problem. So how could she bow before David and say, I accept all blame. This is my fault. I take ownership of this, David. How does she say that? Because her goal is not to prove who's right and wrong in this example. She's not coming in saying, well, he did that, and David, you really shouldn't have done that, and they, there's no finger pointing. Her goal is not figuring out who was right and who was wrong. Her only goal was to make peace. And so if she takes ownership, instead of passing the blame, to lead to peace, then it's worth it. Take ownership rather than passing blame. The goal, again, is not to figure out who's always right and wrong in a situation, if the goal is peace, you will act differently and treat the other person differently. Then as she explains, then she says, and I know how you feel. I know Nabal. He's an idiot. He's got a temper. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's wicked, so don't pay any attention to him. She begins to relate to David. I understand. I know him. I know him better than you know him. There's a word for that. Empathy. We empathize by saying, I'm going to try to understand what you're feeling and what you're going through and what life is like in your shoes right now. She empathized and was trying to understand David's situation. Where she says, I know Nabal can be mean. I know how he's treated you. I know the words that he used against you. And David, I get it. I'd be really upset too. So she begins to empathize. And church, if we can begin to do the same thing in our relationships with one another, where before we jump into escalation of these reactions, what if we began to just slow down and empathize? And help me understand what that's like. How did that make you feel? Empathize and seek to understand. And you'll see the escalation. Stop and the de-escalation begin. Afterwards, after she, I know what you're going through, I totally understand, been there, then she says these three words that are hard for us to say. So we're going to say them together. Do you remember what they were? Please. Okay, hang on. Okay, it's on the screen. <laughs> I told you it's hard to say. 
So we're going to practice so you get better at saying them. Say them with me. Please forgive me. For what? Like, that's my, my first reaction is like, Abigail, you haven't done anything wrong. You're the only sensible one in this whole story. Why do you need forgiveness? Notice what she says on the last part of that. Please forgive me if I have offended you in any way. David, if I've said something, anything that I don't even recognize. So often we want to say, well, I'm sorry you took it that way. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Well, I'm sorry you can't, can't comprehend what I was actually trying to do. Right? It's always followed up with basically a backhand. No, she just is open-handed and says, please forgive me. If I've done anything to offend you, if I've done anything that I'm not aware of, David, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I cannot think of three other words that will de-escalate a situation faster than please forgive me. She de-escalates the situation brilliantly by meeting David where he's at moving quickly, approaching with humility, not meeting him emotionally, humbling herself, taking ownership, fighting for peace, making peace, not worried as much about who's right and who's wrong, but I'm sorry. I understand. It's the playbook for de-escalating a situation, especially in regards to a relationship. For every action, though, there's a reaction. So now we're going to get David's reaction. See how this is kind of this back and forth, back and forth. Here's what David says, and here's how he reacts and responds back to Abigail. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. He says, thank you. Not just to her, but thank God. Now, this next part, I don't think David needed to say this next part, but again, he's still pretty hot-headed and he's very emotional. Uh, it's a thank you, but it's like, really, did you need to say it? Look at verse 34. After he's saying, thank you so much for, man, God, thank you for sending you. You have so much good sense. Verse 34, for I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Like, was that necessary, David? Like, did you really need to explain every, like, can you just have said thank you and leave it at that? But we say things when we're emotional, we get worked up and it takes a little bit for us to work down. And I love, Abigail doesn't even mention that. She's just like, you're an idiot. Like you both need to move past this. So she just ignores that statement. Verse 35, then David accepted her present and told her, return home in, say the word with me, return home in peace. Return home in peace. I have heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Thanks. <laughs> I love that. You talked me out of it, Abigail. Good job. But he went home in peace, and she went home in peace because of what Abigail had done. Now, I gave you the list of what Abigail did to de-escalate the situation. I want to give you another list. This is a shorter list because it's from David, and he didn't do as many things right in this situation. But he did a few things that are worth highlighting. So again, not as many as Abigail, but here's your second list. Here's what David did to de-escalate the situation in reaction to what Abigail said. First thing, he put his focus back on God. It's the first thing that came out of his mouth. Thank the Lord. 
thank the God of Israel. Thank God for you and your good sense. He finally got his eyes back on God. Now, as we have been following the story and life of David, he typically does this really well. When he was going to fight Goliath, his eyes were on the Lord, not on the giant. When he was in the cave with Saul and he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he listened to the voice of God and said, no, this isn't the right thing. So, so far throughout David's life, we've seen David keep his eyes on God until this. And this is a moment where he took his eyes off God and just put his eyes on Nabal the problem and said, I'm going to take care of this problem. God, I'm going to take care of this. God, I don't need you to fix anything. I'm going to deal with this guy my own way with my own hands. But Abigail was able to get him to get his eyes back on the Lord. When our eyes are on God instead of the problems or instead of the offenses and instead of the hurts, we act differently. So may our eyes be back on God. Second thing we see David do well, finally, did not do this well at first, but he got there, is he listened with humility. At the end of what he told Abigail, he said, return home in peace, I have heard what you said. And this is not one of those like, yeah, 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 I hear you, move on, right? Your kids give you that. Did you actually, you, you might've heard the words, but you're not actually gonna do what I told you to do. So that's not what I'm looking for. David heard it, not just in his ears, but he heard it in his heart. Abigail, I hear you. Thank God that he brought you here because you know what would have happened if you didn't. The last thing that he did, well, we see this as a result rather, is instead of going to war, trust the Lord. Instead of going to war, trust the Lord. Do you remember what, this whole pro what the problem was that started this whole mess? What was David really looking for? What was his issue? Talk with me for a second. It was what? He was hungry. He was hungry. This is, a, this is a lesson on why you don't talk when you're hungry. The whole hangry thing is a real deal, right? So after church today, go eat. You never know how that's going to escalate. No, he was in need, wasn't he? He was hungry. It's him and he's trying to take care of these 600 men living in caves out in the wilderness, no provisions, no food. He just was in need. And so he goes to somebody who he thought could help fill that need. And when that turned out to not work out, instead of trusting in the Lord fulfilling his needs, he continued to take matters into his own hands. And that is a tension that not just David wrestled with, but you and I are going to wrestle with that constantly. Do I trust God or do I need to take matters into my own hands? When someone hurts me, do I need to take matters into my own hands and fix it? Or can I trust God that he'll take care of it? When I have a need, what's my first reaction? I'll take care of it or I'm going to trust God with it. You see, how we react to situations and how we react to people gives us a very good glimpse at how much we truly trust God. Let me say that one more time. How we react to people and to situations give a very good glimpse into how much we truly trust God. Is your reaction, is my reaction, oh, I'm going to trust God with that? Or is it a, God can't handle that. God's not going to do anything about that, so I have to do something about that. That's what David got to. But Abigail, through her words, was able to get him back to a place where trusting God, instead, was where he would trust God instead of just going to war. Because once again, every action has a reaction. And we cannot blame the actions for our reactions. 
our reactions are our responsibility. You are responsible. I am responsible for our own reactions. Because someone is going to say something. Someone is going to do something. There's going to be an action directed at you that is going to make you want to react. That is going to make you want to escalate. That is going to make you want to meet the emotional intensity. But we are called to act differently. We are called to treat others differently. Not as we have been treated by them, but how Jesus would treat them. In Romans chapter 12, uh, we don't have time to go through all of it. In fact, I would encourage you this week, this is a good part of your Bible study. Read the entire chapter of Romans 12. In Romans 12, the beginning part of that, Paul is beginning to help us understand why we do what we do, why we think the way we think, why we act the way that we act, why we behave the way that we should behave. And it's because, well, our lives are not our own. We've given our lives to Christ. If you're a believer or a follower of Jesus, then our lives are not ours, they're his. And because of what he's done for us, we live differently. We think differently, behave differently, and react differently. So here's your third list. We have a list from Abigail. We have a list from David. Now I'm going to give you a list from Paul as he writes to the early church of Rome. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, Beth, if you'll go ahead and put that up on the screen, let me help you understand. Um, I've been talking a lot at you. We've been reading a lot of scripture. I want you to read this on your own. So I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. I'm going to give you a minute or so to read this. Don't rush it. I'll give you time. Read through it. Let it hit your heart. Let it sink in just a little bit, and then we'll pull a few things out of it. So take some time, read through this on your own. If you're done, say done. Sound like most of you. Or you didn't want to be the one to not say done, so you just said it anyway. There it is. So let me give you this list. Um, there's a lot more questions you could pull out of this. This is just kind of my, my stab at, if I were to give you 10 questions to ask yourself based on what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, these should be in the front of our minds acting almost as filters as when I'm getting ready to respond, when I'm reacting to someone else's actions or the actions of a situation, what's my reaction? I want these questions to be bothering your mind and your heart. Here they are. Let me put them up here. Give me, give me some time. Let me walk through all of these with you. What would true love do? The very beginning of what we read, remember what Paul said? He said, let this be genuine. Don't fake it. Don't pretend like this needs to be true, genuine love. So is my reaction true love. And we can't say, yeah, but they didn't act lovingly. Our reactions are our own responsibilities. So is my reaction true love? What's the right thing? Paul tells us to do what's right, not what's wrong, but what is right. So we got to ask, is this even right? David, is going on a war, a war run and a killing rampage the right thing? The answer is no. Yeah, but did you hear what he said to me? It's still not right. 
So what is the right thing? Now, right tends to be more uh, focused on like definites and absolutes, meaning it's right or wrong legally. It is right or wrong morally. Like these are some pretty obvious, the rules say this, there's commands given by God, the law says this, so it's very easy to discern. But then we're told to also hold on to what is good. So what is the good thing? Because you can do the right thing and not the good thing. Here's an example. You've heard this phrase before. It's not what you say, but how you say it. A great example of the right thing, but you also have to remember the good thing. So I can say the right thing. This was true. This was right. But you can say it in a way that's not good, not helpful, not beneficial. The right thing is to go the speed limit. If the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, then you are in the right if you are traveling at 65 miles an hour. So how do you also do the good thing? Well, when that poor person is trying to merge onto 400 and you shot out your window, it's my right to go 65. Instead of slowing down and letting them merge, that would be a good thing. So you have to have both, right and good. Who am I trying to please? Paul tells us that we are a servant of the Lord. Are my actions pleasing others? Are my actions pleasing myself? Am I just doing this because I want to feel better? Or are my actions pleasing, my reactions pleasing God? We're told to have patience in trouble. So are we showing patience and then more patience? Well, how long do I have to be patient? It's kind of the definition of patience. You continue to be patient. How am I helping them? We're told to meet their needs, to be hospitable, to bless those who curse us. Is what I'm about to say, is the way that I'm about to react helping that person? Yeah, well, they didn't help me. My reaction is my responsibility. Do you remember what, what Abigail did? What did she take? Do you remember what she took? You don't have to remember the list of everything, but she took what he needed. She took the supplies. I love that Abigail actually solved the original problem. She recognized it. Here's, why, this, here's where this whole thing started. She's like, regardless of what I say, I want to make sure I'm still helping. So part of Abigail's response was in helping David and his men. Have I talked to God yet? We're told to pray. Praise mentions twice in this passage. Have I included God on this conversation? Once again, David had done a good job of that up until this point. Nowhere in here did he say, man, Nabal's really bothering me. Let me go and ask God if I should kill him. Like that wasn't a conversation David had with God. It was, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel like doing. So I'm going to do whatever I want to do right now. We would learn a lot if we would slow down and take our problems to God first. Have you prayed about it yet? Have you talked to God yet? Am I creating unity or division? Paul talks about harmony. In fact, he says that we are to live in harmony with each other. Now, I'm by no means a musician, but we can all, we can all understand the difference of harmony and just melodies, right? Melodies are the same thing, the same musical notes. Harmony is two different musical notes, not the same, but they complement each other. They, they live together well, and it sounds beautiful. So... Are we told, well, we just have to agree with everyone? No. Well, we just all have to be the same then? No. Unity doesn't mean agreement all the time. You can agree to disagree. As the church, we should be great at this, right? If you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, we live a certain way according to God's word. People that are not followers of Jesus live a different life. We are to still be unified. We can still treat them lovingly and respectfully. But no, we don't have to agree. So are we creating? Is my reaction going to create unity or is it going to cause division? What might I not know? 
He said, I said it nicer in the question. Paul just says, don't think you know it all. There's things about this person in this situation you might not be aware of. You might not know their hurt. You might not know their history. You might not know their background. You might not know their experience. You might know, not know what kind of day they've had. Like Trace, you might not know that he has no AC in his house. Be careful how you talk with Trace today, by the way. <laughs> right? You don't know the story. You don't know the situation. So don't assume you know it all. Ask the question, what might I not know? And lastly, and I think this is the most important question. Am I willing to sacrifice for peace? Paul says it this way. He says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. All that you can. That includes sacrifice. To make peace like Abigail, to push peace forward like David, it's going to require you to have sacrifice, to make sacrifices. It's what Jesus did for us. Because of our actions, our sinful actions, we were separated from God. And the reaction that Jesus had was not a reaction of condemnation, was not a reaction of, I can't believe it, was not a reaction of, stay out of my life and never, ever come back. No, our sinful actions caused separation from God. But God, through his son Jesus, his reaction was of love and mercy, compassion and forgiveness that brought peace and unity and harmony and wholeness to us again. His reaction was very different. In fact, Isaiah tells us what that looked like. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet he did not ignore us. He didn't get rid of us. He didn't forget about us. Yet he, the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. Jesus did not react to us the way that we deserved. He reacted to us in a way that would bring peace and wholeness to our relationship with him. Because of sin, we were called enemies of God. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are now called children of God. Every action has a reaction. And people are going to say things, do things. Life's going to hit you in ways that are going to make you want to explode with reaction. But may we, like Romans encourages us to be, May we live differently because of what God has done for us, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that took our sins away, because of how he responded and reacted to our sinful actions. May we respond to others well in a way that causes peace and ultimately in a way that points other people to Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for how much you love us, how much you continue to forgive us and give us grace. Our actions are not worthy of that kind of grace, yet you still react with grace and compassion. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for us, so that we could be whole with you, that we could live in harmony with you, that we could have that peace, hope, joy, and love that your word talks about. We cannot have that without you. Help us, because of what you've done for us, help us to then treat others differently. Not as they deserve, not based on their actions, but based on your actions and based on your love for us. 
Bottom line, Jesus, help us to be more and more like you. Help us to be willing to sacrifice. Help us to be willing to love and have compassion and mercy. Help it to not just be about right and wrong, but about the person and about your love. In Jesus' name, amen.